Hello and welcome to the Anxiety to Confidence podcast. I'm your host, Siobhan Booth, and I've been a clinical hypnotherapist since 2011. I specialise in helping people overcome anxiety and build confidence instead. This weekly podcast will cover a wide range of mental health issues related to anxiety, along with some helpful tips and suggestions that you can try at home. If you have any questions that you'd like answered in a future episode, then please head to www.anxietytoconfidence.com forward slash podcast. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to this week's episode and this week I'm joined by Ian for another episode of my 2021 guest series. This is an absolutely fantastic episode because Ian talks to us about his experience of mental health and how that was impacted by a belief that he had to be strong because of his history in the Air Force and also as a amateur rugby player as well. In this episode, Ian talks about a number of different ways in which he learnt to cope with the situation that he was dealing with. There's some great advice in there. And he also talks a little bit about what he's learnt since becoming a mental health first aider as well. Just to give you a quick warning, we do discuss themes of suicide briefly in this episode. So if that's something that is particularly upsetting to you, then you might want to consider not listening to this episode. However, it is a very positive episode and there are loads of really good things that you can try. So I would strongly recommend that if you feel comfortable with it, you go ahead and listen. And also Ian mentions a charity that he did his mental health first aid training with. That charity is called stateofmindsport.org and I've popped a link in the description for the podcast so that if you'd like to go and have a look at that or are tempted to train yourself as a mental health first aider then you can go and find those resources. I hope you enjoy this episode. Could you give us a bit of background information? Talk to us a little bit about your rugby career. We'll start there. I wouldn't so much call it a career. I've played uh, amateur rugby for about 33 years I've played while I was during while I was in the forces so I was in the Air Force for seven years so I played rugby league and rugby union for uh, Air Force, up to Air Force level so fairly high up since then I've retired about three times through injuries different various injuries knee back knee again and I've gone on to coaching so it's it's a giving back thing and whilst I still love to play my, my head said well well, yeah, I suppose my head says I can still play. My body just turns around and looks at me and shakes its head. <laughs> You're an idiot. Don't try it. Don't. <laughs> yeah, old age. But hey, the head says one thing, body says the complete opposite. I now coach children's age groups. I've coached from under seven, sorry, under sixes all the way up to under 14s. I've now dropped back in age group to coach under 10s again, which is one of my lads. And this is all done as a voluntary thing. It is voluntary, yeah, completely. Uh, I've worked, I've worked with uh, open age groups, so 18s and above, and that was that was strange. After going from kids to coaching bigger kids, it's <laughs> it's always funny. It's, I always find this how you can talk to them. So instead of talking to a child and saying you're trying to use non-persuasive language so you're not telling them what to do you're trying to get them to look and see how they can do it whereas you, when you coach adults it's like no do that don't do that you will hurt yourself and this is why 
and then they go and do it anyway because we just don't listen because apparently adults know better <laughs> especially as teenagers we, we always know better when we're teenagers oh god don't i've got one <laughs> it's awful <laughs> i used to Amazing. actually i used to actually coach uh, my my eldest uh he's given up moving on to playing football not a sport i profess alike but it's each to their own uh and he was he always knew that he had to overperform to get something out of me which when i look back at it i think is that how i've coached him is that how i've or is that just because i've been harsh and cruel towards my own because i know he can do better or is it because he is my lad for, for him to get anything he's got to be above and beyond everybody else <laughs> so it, even looking back now I'll, I'll look and think well surely that's me affecting his mental health and that's not something that I ever thought about. Okay that's interesting so we talked a little bit before we started recording about some of your own experiences of mental health yeah and you went through a particular period in time that was especially difficult. My mental health journey I suppose started about oof, four and a half years ago well, probably longer, actually. Uh, let's, let's say five years ago. What happened was my dad had a battle with alcohol and it ended up with him being hospitalised quite a lot from, from different periods for about two, three years. He lost his driving licence through alcohol. Again, it was found to be driving twice over the limit, which I couldn't condone. No, I really couldn't. Uh, we fell out fairly big and a couple of years well to say about four years later or so he actually uh, took his own life through alcohol reasons which I don't quite know why I think he'd given up if I'm brutally honest and from that started my downfall the month after losing my dad my granddad passed which left me as executive for two houses two mortgages and as well as trying to upkeep my family uh, within that period as well I got I lost my job I got fired from my job because I couldn't deal with not only everything that was going on in personal life I could not deal with my work life it got too much and I nearly lost the company a fairly big client which as I look back on it I'd my boss at the time had seen warning signs and my, my mate had seen signs that things weren't right with me. And we sat down and said, look, you've got to do something. I went off to the doctors and I'd like to say something was done. I think more than anything, looking back, it was more of a, he just sat down and talked and said, what, what's happened? He said, um, I, I don't really remember the conversation. I just remember it was the, well, that would cause you to be stressed. So you need to find something that doesn't stress you. And that was that. That was, I say, we're going back about four years. And things have changed since then. And at no stage four years ago could I have sat talking to you about this. Not a chance. No way. So when you were in that period of time when everything seems like it's falling in on you, mm -hmm. what kind of thoughts and feelings did you have? Crikey, you, you name it, you name anything from even why am I here 
why am I bothering? What's my what's my worth? I suppose in some ways of looking at that. Uh, I suppose getting up in the morning was a struggle. I I ended up taking a job which it was a job. There was never going to be a career, and the pressure from that built up and built up, and uh, luckily I was made redundant from that because the company folded. If the company hadn't folded, I I couldn't even I wouldn't even wanted to start thinking what I'd be doing. Uh, there were dark times for me. Don't get me wrong; it's like anyone else who when pressure hits and it's there's no release, there's no let up for it. Um, suicide did cross my mind. It seemed like the only way out of all the issues and all the problems that were going on was to leave. It's not something that I'd want to be back there. I never want to be back in that position ever again. Ever. It's it's not the nicest of places. The people say that uh, it's dark. I wouldn't even describe it as dark. I'd just describe it as black. Dark isn't quite the right word because you get variants. You know yourself, you get varying different colours throughout the night. And that's when dark is. It, it's just black. It's, it's just a big black hole that you cannot get out of, no matter how hard you try. And to get to start that hole getting... Or for it to be a release, there needs to be something to give. And for me, it was me who gave. It just got to me. It just feels that sometimes there's nothing you can do. No matter what you do, you can talk to as many people as you want. You can even just sit on your own. No matter what you do, sometimes there is nothing that will make you feel better. How did your background from the Air Force, you said, and yeah. also playing rugby, how did you manage to kind of equate that with this feeling? I suppose in some ways, if you look at it uh, as military, you're always taught or you always said that you are strong, you are fit, you are a, I suppose, for want of a better way of putting it, a fighting machine. You are there, there's, there's never, if there's a chink in your armour, someone will find it. So to even show that, again, it's such a cliche thing, and I apologise for it, find that little chink in the armour. Someone finds that chink in the armour and they see it as a weakness and they aim for it. I've, I've known it from playing rugby. You always found if you saw someone on the opposition who had their knee strapped up or leg strapped up, you're thinking, right, I'm going to keep working that leg. Every tackle I'm going to make, I'm going to make on that leg until the point where he has to go off. So you see it as a weakness. Um, it is still seen as a weakness. I'll be brutally honest. There's, there's a, such a stigma attached for not just men, women as well, to talk about mental health issues. Um, this lock, These lockdowns have affected so many people, not just men and women, but children as well. I've seen it with mine. This third lockdown, we in third, yeah, third lockdown came in. You lose track. Um, we discussed about hours going into school because I didn't know what I was working at the time. My wife's a teacher. She was permanently working from home, apart from the odd couple of days. And we talked about sending our two into school and one of them got really edgy. And when he's on edge or anything like that, he giggles an awful lot. 
which I know is not dissimilar for a 10-year-old, but when it's over the top, we knew there was a problem. We sat down and said, look, what's wrong? And he wouldn't talk. He would not talk, would not tell us what's wrong. And we knew what the problem was. We knew he he was worried about going into school. In the end, he went in and he actually enjoyed it. But it was that initial fear. And that is, I guarantee there are so many people out there with exactly the same issues, exactly the same problems, who not so much dismiss it, but then start smothering and you're thinking, well, let them talk. They will eventually open up to you. It it may not be when you want it to be. They may it may be two, three, four weeks down the line. But they may turn around and go, I was really nervous about going into school that very first day. So, oh, were you? We never noticed. And you open up that discussion with them and they will tell you. But I, I love the biggest thing at present I love is that people say children are resistant. There's only so much. There really is. Um, I, I wouldn't even want to think how bad this would this could have been if it was if it happened when I was growing up. There's so there's so many differences. I mean, I'm 43. If I went back to when I was 10, there was no mobile phones, there's no games consoles, there's nothing else. You you went out at a weekend when the sun came up and you came when the sun went down. <laughs> And in between, then, if your mum saw you, it was either for food or drink. And that was it. You couldn't do that now. They couldn't have done that now. Um, for them to get through it, hats off to them. No way I could have done it. But we're going back to your question. I know I've diverted a bit. I'm sorry. Uh, okay. In, in terms of rugby, you, there's so many people who will say to you, you, you are looked at as being a strong man. You are looked at as being fit. And again, that little chink in the armour is a sign of weakness. So you go out there, you don't cry on a pitch. You don't talk to anyone about how you feel after a game because you've either won or lost. There's no in-between bit. Whilst the chances of a game drawing, are, it will happen. It is slim. So you've either won or you lost. For one, you are on top of the world and you will make sure that the team who lost knew that you won you will make as much noise as possible. You will get in their heads because next time you play them, you want to beat them again. And as I said, you, you find a weakness on the team and you will aim. You spend 80 minutes of that poor bloke's life aiming at him because he is the weakness. And I've seen coaches do it. I've seen coaches coach that way that they go out there and say, look at your team, look at the opposition, who is the weakest player, aim at them. And that's under eight. So these are seven-year-old kids and the so coach is telling them what mindset is about giving a, a child as they grow up. Aim at your weakest child. That's that's just bullying, no matter which way you look at it. For you in that situation, mm-hmm. is that how you saw yourself then as somebody that had a massive chink in their armour? Completely. 100%. 100%. By letting everything affect me, without a doubt, I saw myself as weak completely and utterly and it's not i say it's not something that as i look back now i look and go no i wasn't weak i was just human it was just and so many different things hitting all at once and i've 
done little bits about health and safety and they say about the uh, about swiss cheese and all the holes lining up to give you that perfect hole straight through it and that is exactly what happened to me every single hole lined up and he just hit me and there was nothing i could do and that is that to me at the time was without a doubt a sign of weakness i was weak because all my holes lined up So when you went to the GP, yeah. they weren't able to offer a huge amount, um, which I think yeah. a lot of people will identify with. So, so. What, what did you end up doing? What happened next? Well, uh, the advice was basically just to carry on. And that's exactly all I did. I just carried on. I didn't know any different. Nobody turned, Nobody was able to turn around and say, well, no, you don't need to carry on. What you need to do is take a step back, evaluate everything you're doing, and talk. Ask for help. Unfortunately, I took it that being the next of kin for two meant that I had to deal. Nobody ever explains about bereavement. It's not something it, people just take it as a natural thing. It's the, oh, go and have a cry and you'll be fine. That's not quite how it works. However, I do understand what they're trying to say. For me, it was dealing with two estates, my own life, my personal finances, their finances, and then trying to close everything and deal with everything and sell two houses and hopefully trying to come out with a little bit of money that would make me ever so slightly better off. And that is ultimately what happened. God, I honestly can't tell you how I got through it. I don't know. I, it was it was tough. And looking back at it, I definitely would, if would would advise anybody just to ask. People can do things for you with bereavement, with estates, just because you are, or just because they are not the next of kin, does not mean that they can't deal with something doesn't mean that they can go they can't make a phone call to any company and say someone uh, can we talk to bereavement section um, my husband's dad granddad partner whatever has died we need to close the account they can do it for you they can take the stress off it and i do honestly wish that i knew that but you never told about it it's, it's like everything else in life. You only find out about something when you come across it. You're never actually told about anything. You get taught loads at school about trigonometry, Pythagoras' theorem, how to weld two pieces of metal together, how to cut something nowadays. But you're never told about the actual things that may actually happen in your life. And I'm the, everything, I'm, I'm a practical person. But practically, I could not deal with anything which it, it, it's a breakdown. It is a complete breakdown. It made me feel useless completely. It's not something I'd want to feel again. I still have a lack of sleep now, maybe five to six hours sleep. It's interrupted. I sleep light, never used to. There's so many different effects that have come from not being able to talk and not being able to open up and express how I felt 
four or five years ago to now. And it is a shame. But the last thing I want is for somebody else to feel that they have to go through this on their own. So there's very much advice there for people to get practical help in terms of actually helping get stuff done. What about mentally? How do you think you could have asked for more help at that time? I suppose in some ways back, we're we're talking four years here, Sean. We really are. There's been so many changes in four years to mental health. I found it, I ended up about four weeks ago, four, yeah, four weeks ago, having what felt like a heart attack. And it turned out to be an anxiety (laughs) attack. (laughs) And I ended up in a walking centre just down the road. And with it being anxiety, they started talking to me and I've been referred through to mental health counselling, which never got offered four years ago, ever. It was never thought about. The most we turned around and said, oh, here's a prescription, off you go. Oh, thanks. What's a prescription for? Drugs. Ah, uh, don't want them. And I've never used I've never used anything for anything like that. Never, not, not that I wanted to, don't get me wrong. It's just, uh, you kind of make up your mind about things and you think, well, do I need them? No, I don't think I do. So I left it. And that was my choice. Whether it's made a difference or not, well, whether it would have made a difference or not, I'll never know. But in terms of asking for help through mental health, talk to someone, talk to anyone. There's, as daft as it sounds, if you look out on the internet, there's so many mental health charities out there who are on the end of a telephone. You don't have to see them. You don't have to ever hear from them again. That one time, that one person at the right time, or even the wrong time, that one person can make a difference for you. It really can. And I've only found that from talking through different people, through being involved, through now being a mental health first aider. There's no way that I'd let anybody feel the way I did or would want anybody to feel the way I did. So you're now a mental health first aider? Yes, yes. Uh, I did the course last January, so was it last January? Yeah, last January. Crikey, time flies. <laughs> Slowly, obviously. Uh, yeah, I did that last last February, sorry, last January. That was through uh, a charity called State of Mind. They're a mental health charity which are made up of ex-professional rugby league players. And that was, again, that was an eye-opener and that was one of the very first courses I opened up about me. Never been able to up to that point. I'd always shied away from it and said, oh, yeah, it's just family stuff, nothing major. But when you look back at it, it actually, whilst it doesn't seem like a huge point or a huge aspect for, for most others I've worked with uh, being, a, being military I know guys with PTSD who've seen their mates blown up on a battlefield or I've seen somebody having arms and limb, oh, sorry, limbs being blown off 
that to me is, or even back then, I suppose, was far more in, far more debilitating for the mental health than what mine was. Mine was just an everyday occurrence. People die. Hey, it's it's different for everyone. And it's how it's how it affects everybody else that I'm interested in. It does interest me as to how a simple little event can make somebody change so much. And it doesn't have to be, it could be something as as down to earth as losing your job. Things can happen being made redundant. That little change in someone's life can mean that they go on and all their holes line up and next thing you know, they're sat in a cup, they're sat somewhere crying for all the reasons they don't understand why. There is often that idea that in order for us to struggle with our mental health, there has to be something really drastic. So I really like how you've kind of suggested there that there's all kinds of different things that can cause mental health issues in people. And it will be very different for each individual and different to their circumstances, how they think completely. and feel in different situations. So yeah, it doesn't completely. have to be a major thing. No, of course not. It, it could be that actually part of your job. It could be that part of your job just gets to you and gets to you and keeps getting to you and that affects you. It could be that you're working on a building site and each day you end up dropping 15, 20 screws out your pocket. That, the one day, it just may get too much for you and you end up walking off site because you can't deal with dropping and going up and down ladders constantly to pick up the screws that you've dropped out your pocket. It sounds ridiculous, it really does. But that little change or that little change in your day, if you've never done that before, then all of a sudden you start. That little change can lead to a much bigger change in yourself. Yeah, definitely. So um, in terms of where you're at now, yeah. I'm really pleased to hear that you've had a referral, finally, Yay. for some mental health support. <laughs> Four years and later. I, really, I really do hope that that provides you with some uh, support, which I'm, I'm sure it will. What would you suggest to other people that are going through this? I think before before we started recording, uh, one of the things I said was um, a lot of everything you see on the internet or everybody saying how fitness is important. And I don't disagree. I really don't. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm sitting here as a 43-year-old, slightly overweight. It's lockdown again. Hey, guess what? <laughs> the biscuit tin gets raided. But... <laughs> I can't, I'm not going to sit here as a health advocate. I've got qualifications for different things and what have you, but I'm not going to preach and say, you must go out for a walk every day. You must go for a run. When the gym's open, get to the gyms because it's important. Yes, I understand that fitness releases um, chemicals that make you feel good, make you feel better. What I will say is that everybody has to find their own coping mechanism. Mine as we've discussed, is uh, sport. I use sport, but my sport is through volunteering. I coach uh, kids' rugby teams. I've lost count how many Zoom meetings I've had just to discuss a different change of government policies and how it affects rugby and how, how it means that we can't train for another month or so, or goodness. It's, it's one of them, but for everybody there's got to be a release somewhere 
it's just finding your release. Now, whether that is sport, whether that is drawing, painting, DIY, don't advise that. If you've never done it before, hospitals are busy enough as they are. The last thing we need is someone with a screwdriver through the hand. Uh, again, I actually got told a funny story from when I was in with my with my anxiety attack. The doctors said it was quite funny. They, they saw when the first lockdown happened, everything, they went quiet. And then as things started to open up a bit and you got the DIY shops which are opening up, they said they got an influx of people with DIY injuries, so fingers severed off saws through arms or screwdrivers in hands or something for a hammer through a foot broken toes from dropping something on them you're thinking oh god <laughs> if you've never done it before don't try it now it's it's not the time it really isn't <laughs> but it, it was quite funny listening to him i'm sat there from an ecg and blood's taken but the poor guy so i'm looking and thinking as if you're not busy enough i've come in and made <laughs> so that but that shouldn't bother anyone but again it's a release. If you've done stuff like that, that's great. Go out and build stuff. I mean, you can find any loads of companies out there who are selling pallets. You upcycle stuff. Have a look through your thing. I mean, in the background, I've got two units behind me. And I've had them since lockdown, near enough the end of lockdown one. And you can see yourself, Siobhan, I have not done anything with them. They're supposed to be upcycled. They just sat there. They've not moved. I've not gone round to it. I've other things to do. But it, it really, to me, it really is advisable for people find a release, find something to take the mind off the monotony of looking at four walls, of staring at a computer screen or a TV. At no stage am I saying that you start finding a new hobby or you find something that you can go out and do and travel off anywhere, stick within guidelines and then from blah, blah. But there's nothing stopping you taking up cartoon drawing. Look on, and again, I know we're going back to screen use and looking at YouTube or anything like that, but you can find little things to draw. You can just try drawing a tree. There's, there's loads knocking around. You can find something, but find a release. Mine, as I say, is volunteering. I started when my eldest was six. He's now 14, 13. I nearly got that wrong. <laughs> and I've coached him all the way through. I've gone back to coaching my middle lad now, who's uh, um, who's 10. And to me, it's a release it, when we are allowed to coach again. It's how I go about my sessions. I, I always, as I've said before, it's if I can do it, they can do it. If at 43, I can go and run a lap, couple of laps of the pitch or I can sprint from cone to cone, I'll do it. And I'll make sure that they can do it. Well, that's that's me there. I'm not just providing fitness. I'm providing a release for them as well. It takes them away from their school day. It takes them away from having to sit in front in a classroom, trying to do Pythagoras' theorem or working out the square root of goodness knows what, or the size, the, uh, how much water goes into a swimming pool. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a release. And that's all I'd say to people is find a release find something that enables you to not so much move but to take you away from the norm the word normal is used an awful lot we want things to return back to normal i don't think there ever was a normal i really don't i think that 
the normal is what you make of it. It's how you make it. So for me, my normal is rushing around like an absolute clown from place to place, taking kids everywhere, coaching myself, or sorry, coaching kids, and then making sure I've got time for me, whether that is at the evening sitting down and reading, or even just watching TV, watching complete and utter trash TV. I mean, what is it? Which one is it now? It's uh, whatever's based in Australia at present. I can't think which one it is. I started watching that. Um, Married at First Sight Australia. Oh, that is brilliant. <laughs> I usually hate stuff like that, but that is so funny. It really is. <laughs> I feel sorry for people. I really do, but hey. <laughs> yeah, I um, very strongly advocate that people find things that fit in with them because, I mean, I can yeah. talk to sports people. I've talked to an athlete on my podcast, um, rugby players, all kinds yeah. of different people. And even a pole dancer, and that's their thing. That's great. But it's really important that people find their own thing and what so works for them. You, you, can, you, can listen, you can listen to thousands of people say that my thing is upcycling furniture. My thing is fixing, I don't know, bikes. That thing will not work for everyone. Not everybody is. If we were all the same, we'd be boring. And we're not. We're all different. We all do different things. We all enjoy different things. Even if your enjoyment is sport, doesn't mean that you like the same sport as someone else. Every sport at present is crying out for officials. So there's bound to be someone out there who fancies picking up a whistle and telling people off. I, <laughs> I, I work with uh, traffic control. It, it's great because you end up spending your time telling people what to do. At your job, your job is to tell people what to do. It's brilliant. It's absolutely superb. It doesn't mean they listen to you, but you've just told them, do this. Mm. They do it. Is there anything else that you think you really want people to know about mental health and hiding it and pretending to be strong? I suppose if, if that one piece of advice is that... It's don't pretend. Don't pretend. If something is bothering you, there is a genuine reason why something is bothering you. Don't pretend there isn't. Don't pretend that you are strong. You may be the size of a house and built like four. Doesn't mean that you are you are not strong. Doesn't mean that you have to pretend to be that strong person. 24 7 365 don't pretend i'm not saying at any stage that you turn into a gibbering wreck every single day because that won't help either it really won't but don't pretend don't pretend to be that person who is always looked at as being the go-to person if you are um, if you are out eventually sometime whenever you're allowed and you are looked upon as being the strong person within a group all them others around you I'd, I'd start seriously questioning why am i looked upon as that am i pretending to be something i'm not am i pretending to be the class clown because i'm hiding something else that that pretend bit doesn't work 
don't pretend to be strong. If at any stage you feel that you've got to, or you want to, sorry, sit in a corner and cry, it's not weak. You're not being something, you, you're not being something that you're not, you're being human. You're not pretending to be someone, you are being you. So suppose for me, it's, it is, as I say, don't pretend. Perfect. I think that's a really good place to uh, to leave that. I think there's I think, some uh, really useful stuff there for people. Hope so. Hope so. It's as I say. It, it to me, it's it's learning. It, it's about learning, and it's learning to listen to yourself, listen to your body, listen to you, and learn from you. Only you know how you feel. Others can't. Others won't be able to tell you. They'll tell you what they think. And everybody's open to listening to that. Uh, but you have to listen to you. Yeah, I completely agree. We, we always know really deep down when we're not doing as well as we could be. And I think a lot of us, and myself included, I've done this before. We push it aside and we go, I'm fine. Yeah. Everything's fine until it's really not. So, yeah, I think that's great advice for people. Thank you so much for your time. No problem, Siobhan. Thank you very much. It's been, it's been good. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast for notifications on future episodes. And if you have the time to write a quick review, then that would be greatly appreciated. To find out more about me and the work that I do, please head to www.anxietytoconfidence.com. That's the number two, anxietytoconfidence.com.